Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. In the 2018 movie Happy Face, a troubled young man joins a support group for people who have facial differences. Who's next? Me. I just want to be a better person. Why do, do you think you're a bad person, Augustine? Oh, I'm disgusting. Now, this young man does not have a facial difference. He fakes it using scotch tape and gauze. But most of the Happy Face cast do have facial differences. Some of their conditions make it more challenging to articulate words, but that doesn't take away from the performer's truly exceptional acting. In fact, as you'll hear, their facial differences in many ways adds to their skill set on screen. Today, we meet two actors from the movie. David Roche is a humorist, a public speaker, and he's a filmmaker. He was born with a vascular malformation that resulted in him losing his lower lip and some of his teeth. He's also developed a constellation of purple veins, mostly on the left side of his face. We'll hear about what it felt like to be a prominent cast member in Happy Face, and what it's like for him to publicly speak in front of a particularly scary audience, middle schoolers. But first, let's meet actor, author, and public speaker Dawn Shaw. She was born with a rare tumor called a teratoma, sticking out of the left side of her cheek and neck. Now, it's usually made up of organ tissue from lower parts of the body. Now, mine happened to be brain tissue. So I like to think that I had so many extra brains that they were all coming out the side of my face. Or you could look at it another way. It's like, oh, so that's where they all went. (laughs) All right. Will you describe what your face looks like now? Okay. Well, first of all, let me say that when they first removed the tumor, they didn't do any other damage. The complication came when the tumor started to grow back. And that's when they discovered that the tumor was wrapped around other parts of my face that were kind of important, like bone, nerve, and muscle. And so when they took the tumor out the second time they took out bone, nerve, and muscle, that left my face half paralyzed. And so it's a little droopy. The nice part is it doesn't have pronounced lines. I mean, I don't get age lines. But on the other hand, I mean, I get droop lines. So I guess it's kind of the same thing. There are teeth there. Uh, The teeth don't line up on that side. I've had a lot of orthodontic work and actually surgery that moved my jaw forward. My eye doesn't blink on its own, so it stays open. Uh, I'm mostly deaf in my left ear. How'd your parents do uh, with making you feel seen, with making you feel loved, with any sort of insecurities that you may have been developing and the way that inevitably, because people are people, they would treat you? How'd your parents do? 
I knew I was supported. My dad was actually very defensive of me. When he would catch kids staring at me, he would like stare back and he was a big guy. So he was kind of intimidating. It was nice because I felt loved, but it was the bad side of that is that's what it taught me to do. And it took a long time for me to do things differently when it came to interacting with kids that were staring at me. I just learned to filter. I just didn't notice so much if people were staring at me, unless they were obvious about it. When they were obvious about it, how would they make it obvious? A lot of times kids tug on their mom's sleeve and say, what's wrong with that girl's face or what's wrong with that woman's face or whatever, however old I was at the time. I actually, looking back now, I actually kind of find it amusing because I realize, I mean, mom doesn't know. But the kids think that mom knows, and so they mom, you know, and and probably like nowadays, the things that I appreciate the most is when mom is asked that question, mom says, I don't know, why don't you go ask? And we have a choice. We have a choice about how we respond, and we can either be helpful, or we can be negative and turn away and not talk to people. And it's so funny because I think as long as you make any attempt, it humanizes you because they almost instantly lose interest and go off and do something else. I think about how our faces tell stories and also how our faces affect the people around us. You said something once that I'd never thought about. You said that people aren't good at giving feedback to someone who looks different, that basically they would let you get away with behavior, but won't say anything because they don't want to, maybe they perceive they would be adding to your own discomfort. I would love to hear more about it. I had never thought of it that way. It's true. People that are different, and it doesn't even have to be a facial difference, but people that have differences in a wheelchair, people that have had something happen to them People don't know how to interact with them. They don't know what to say to them. And I think that when people behave inappropriately, there is a response that says, that that doesn't want to correct them. If you have someone in a social situation and they say something to you that is hurtful or mean or negative, oftentimes, if it's somebody we know, if it's a friend, we're going to say, hey, you know, you shouldn't say that. Or, that was hurtful. Or, I mean, unfortunately, not enough people do that. They don't call people out on their BS. And I think people with differences are sometimes allowed to get away with essentially bad behavior. And yet, then they'll turn it around and say, well, everybody, nobody wants to be with me. Nobody likes me. And it's like, yeah, nobody wants to be with you because you're a jerk. I mean, just because you have a difference, it doesn't make you magical or special. And that's another myth. I mean, we see that so often where we actually almost put people with differences on pedestals, like there's some magnificent, wonderful person. And sometimes we're just ass. I know you're going to believe that, but <laughs> it's true. Is that sort of like when people call you an inspiration? How do you feel about that word? 
I actually do not mind being called an inspiration. I look at being an inspiration as something positive. Now, it can be condescending. And I think if it's condescending, that's not good. Some people have said, well, I want to be an inspiration for what I've accomplished, what I've done, what I stand for, not because I have a disability. If you actually live in such a way that evokes positivity, that people have a reason to be inspired, to be to want to emulate what you do, that is important. But if you're an inspiration just because you exist, just because you've learned to function in society, although even learning to function in society can be a challenge. And if you're doing it successfully, a lot of people envy my confidence, for example. But believe me, I'm not always confident. I mean, I, and that's the other thing that I have to emphasize is people with physical differences, facial difference and otherwise, we're human beings. Sometimes, hopefully, we are going to be nice, wonderful, kind, generous people. But other times, we're going to be hurt, angry, disappointed. We have to allow people to be human. So somebody's going to stare at me, and that's normal. I mean, it's not like I don't notice people that have other differences. Oh, that guy only has half an arm. You think I don't notice just because I have a facial difference? I mean, I feel more like I'm in a community with that person because I can identify with some of what that person probably goes through. And I certainly don't want to be that guy, and I'm not going to be the one staring at him. So you're saying that people with visible disabilities are often two-dimensionalized into heroes who are always so proud and inspiring and in a good mood and, 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 whereas turns out you are a whole complex, multidimensional human being. Yeah. Or you have the opposite where you have movies that portray us as villains. That drives me freaking crazy. I hate that. I probably would have enjoyed Wonder Woman a lot more if uh, the villain hadn't had a uh, facial difference. The other aspect is often the people who are different are comic relief, and that's almost as bad. We're the clowns. Although I, I have to admit, having a sense of humor is important. And sometimes that's how we would normalize ourselves. If we, we almost have to be better than, or funnier than, or more interesting than, or smarter than, because we need a way to stand out and or to be normal, to be looked at as people. Now, there had to have been a moment before you became a motivational speaker, before you became an author, before you became an advocate. Uh, you know, you, you weren't, I imagine, 12 years old thinking, ah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Will you talk about how you overall went from, mm, that's not a direction my life is going to go into, to this is going to be something I regularly do to not only speak for myself, but speak for this whole community in, in the ways that you can. I've had a talent for writing since I was very little. I've always liked performance, like theater, but I've always liked, I guess I was kind of a ham. I just always liked performing and 
But as I grew up, I formulated the belief that I couldn't do that because of my appearance. No one's ever going to have me as an actress. No one's going to put me in front of a camera. But I've never been afraid of being in front of people, of speaking in front of people. And I realize that is a gift. I've worked very hard to make sure that I speak clearly and can be understood. I know that there are a lot of people in the facial difference community, some of whom are my friends, that that is more of a challenge for them. When you see in a movie someone with a visible facial difference, and it is usually either a villain or part of the story, like this actor had to have a visible facial difference because it's part of the story. It's part of what we're talking about. Is there a part of you that wishes there were movies with actors who have visible facial differences and the visible facial difference is never addressed and has no even relevance to the story? I think that would be ideal. Good characters in a story have backstories. It would be fair to explore where that difference came from at some point, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be in the first episode. Human beings are just so caught up in physical appearance. But the one thing that I know from my personal experience is that once you are visible to an audience, they're going to spend a couple of minutes just staring at you. And that's a liberty they have when you're on a movie screen or a TV screen. But then they're not going to focus on it as much. I'm not going to say they're going to forget about it. They're not. Because, I mean, that's how do we recognize people? We recognize people by their faces. Oh, you want to hear the ultimate irony? I am horrible with faces. And yet, everybody recognizes me. And they'll come up and they'll be like, hi, Don. And I'm like, hi. And in my mind, I'm like, I have no idea who you are. And usually I just have to be very open and straightforward and say, can you remind me (laughs) your name, please? Now, actually, you put your finger on something really interesting. In some ways, in many ways, you are outstanding in the literal sense. You're very easy to remember, at least whether they know your name or not, it's easy to remember if they've met you before. And that means that you can't really fly under the radar. (laughs) You can't really blend in or like maybe get away with something oh you want to hear a good one of course i do my husband ian and i we go into a restaurant twice and we're regulars because everybody recognizes me now he is like the average older white guy no one would ever remember him unless he's been there like 20 times but twice and it's like oh hi now if he went in without me they wouldn't have a clue is there some part of you that loves it? Yeah. <laughs> Is there any part of you that doesn't love it, that wishes you could be just another face, just another face? Two things come to mind. The first one is, well, if I've been a jerk, I don't want people to remember me. But the second thing that comes to mind is during COVID, when we were wearing masks, I actually felt like part of my identity had been taken away. That was weird. (laughs) My face is part of my identity. 
That was author, actor, and public speaker Don Shaw. When we get back. On one hand, physically I stand out and I have to do more to make myself human. But on the other hand, sometimes it's nice to stand out. Plus, how actor David Roche sees the power of being an actor with a facial difference. We who are facially disfigured have access to a better understanding of the human condition. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is the second installment of our series featuring people with facial differences. In a little bit, we'll meet David Roche, whom we first saw in the 2018 film Happy Face. The movie features an ensemble of actors with facial differences, both inherited and acquired. Dawn Shaw is one of those actors. She's also the author of three books, including her memoir, Facing Up to It. For a long time, Dawn was the only person she knew who had a facial difference. Hers was caused by a rare tumor she was born with called a teratoma. But eventually... Don got connected with a Canadian nonprofit, About Face. They offer supportive programming, advocacy, and education about and for people with facial differences. One of the programs they offer is called Camp Trailblazers. I went to one of those, and it was the first time that I had ever been with an entire group that had facial differences. Now, this is going to sound really conceited, but it also kind of took away a little of my uniqueness. But on the other hand, it was wonderful to be able to meet and talk to people. And I mean, we are all just people, normal people, and interact with people who have had similar experiences. I mean, there's nothing like that. So even though I was a little trepidatious about actually going, I'm so glad I did. Earlier, you were talking about how when you were wearing a mask during COVID, that it felt like it took a part of your identity away. I wonder if if you woke up one morning and you were in an alternate timeline, another dimension, and the condition you were born with never happened, but you knew it, how do you think you'd feel? feel about being in that new timeline? I'd be pretty lost. 
I wouldn't know how to interact. How do I make myself stand out? I mean, it's kind of weird to think that on one hand, physically I stand out and I have to do more to make myself human. But on the other hand, sometimes it's nice to stand out. I mean, I think as a professional speaker, for example, it gives me an advantage because I don't have to sell people on my experience. I just include a picture. It does at least make my job a little easier in convincing people that I have a story. If I had that option, I wouldn't do it. And maybe it's because I'm 57. If I were 22, I might jump on that opportunity. But once you get to a certain age, it's kind of like that's how you are. You're pretty molded. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't change. I I don't believe for a minute that people can't change things about themselves. I've been working on myself for decades. But in that alternate universe, would I get used to it? Probably. And I have to admit, there's a part of me that's been kind of curious on what I would look like if this had never happened. And technically, I suppose there's ways to do that now. But there's also that part of me that says, do I really want to know? It's kind of like, you know, do you, if you knew, if you could know the exact day that you would die, would you want to? And, you know, we have to play the cards we're dealt as human beings. And I, I really feel like this is me. And if I was in that alternate timeline, it's still me, but it's different. And all the experiences that I had that shaped my personality, that shaped my attitude, shaped the person I am, they would not have happened. Most of them would not have happened. So I'd be in this body of somebody who I really don't know anything about them. Well, I've asked everything that I planned on. Is there anything that I left out that you want to make sure you say? One thought that I did not finish is you asked, like, how did I become, uh, how did I transition to where I'm now talking about my life and being a speaker? And that transition actually came while I was writing my book. It took me seven years to write my memoir. And it was life-changing because I had to scrutinize myself and my life and my relationships in ways that I never had before. And it wasn't always fun. I actually, there were a lot of emotions that went into that process of putting the book together. And it was during that time that I realized I had a story. I had something that people actually wanted to hear. And even if they don't take it to heart right away, even if they can't apply it right away, sometimes five years later, they might remember something that I said and it might have an impact. Well, Don Shaw, thank you so much for talking with me. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. That's super awesome. I love this kind of stuff. We'll have a link to all of Don's work at ctpublic.org slash audacious. David Roche was one of Don's castmates in the movie Happy Face. In addition to being an actor, he's a humorist, public speaker, and author. 
His critically acclaimed autobiography and one-man show, The Church of 80% Sincerity, has taken him all around the world, including the White House, and his new book, Standing at the Back Door of Happiness, is coming out on April 20th. Now, when you check out David's CV, it lists his hair as gray slash salt and pepper, eyes are blue, height is 5'6", and face unforgettable. I asked him to tell me the story of his unforgettable face. Okay. I am one day old. There is a slight discoloration on my left eyelid. The doctor says, do not worry, Mrs. Rose. It will be gone in a day or two. Well, this is like uh, 20,000 days later, and not only has it not disappeared, but it's grown a lot. It started growing very much when I was a year old, and no doctor within range knew what to do, so I ended up at the Mayo Clinic, and there my lower lip was removed. And I had heavy radiation therapy, which I was born in 1944. And radiation therapy was so exciting then. And uh, they gave me radiation that was neither measured nor focused. So it made the whole bottom part of my face start growing. or grow very little. I lost my teeth. So... What you see when you look at me is purple blotches. Actually, it's a very attractive color. I'd like to hear about, uh, though you were born looking this way and it has evolved over your life, what was it like when you first really recognized, oh, I look different than pretty much everybody? I would say as I entered puberty, uh, there was an, one incident that happened. Worst thing that ever happened. I'm 13 years old. I want to be a priest. I go to visit the seminary that's at the University of Notre Dame, the Holy Cross Priests, being interviewed by two priests. The two priests leave the room. I'm sitting there. there. You know, there's a big statue of the Blessed Virgin, a lady of faith. There's a big picture of the sacred heart of Jesus with blood streaming down his face. And they come back and they tell me, we're sorry, but we feel that because of your appearance, the congregation will not be able to have respect for you. So in Catholicism, when you hear the priest talk, especially back then, uh, that was like the word of God. So I heard God telling me that I was a monster. That was when it really hit me. It's so obvious that, you know, if you follow Jesus and you're raised in this tradition, that you are a child of God and you are made in his image. And so the idea that you wouldn't be anything other than divine doesn't make sense, but it just goes to show how powerful people in positions of power in the church or anywhere, be it your parents, your teachers, priests, they have this power. How do you feel now about your relationship with God and thereby your relationship with yourself and this appearance that's been a part of your life for your entire human 
existence. Okay, let's jump forward about 50 years. Um, I was a communist for 12 years, a dedicated, strong cadre. I wanted to help people. That's why I was a communist. I, I became a communist because I was one of the founders of the Child Care Switchboard and Single Parent Resource Center in San Francisco. And I saw what life was like for single mothers, mothers, women. I felt like that. There was no choice but to become a communist. Anyway, at the time, I was drinking, I was smoking cigarettes, and I was eating crap and drinking a lot of coffee. Anyway, over a few years, I realized that what I needed on a daily basis was nature, loving relationships, family and community, and creativity. And all of a sudden, that seemed so obvious to me. And so I felt like, okay, good, now I understand. Soon after that, I got on stage. What was I doing? I'm not so sure. I'm standing out there alone in front of a couple hundred people with my facial difference. And people like it immediately. I'm just a natural. I have a great presence. Then I learned something else about my face. I learned that everybody feels disfigured. In the body, the face, inside, uh, they have dyslexia, they're neurodiverse. They're, but there's something people feel is wrong with themselves. Everybody feels that way. And here I am on stage. I start the show by saying, okay, when I count to three in point, I want you all to ask, what happened to your face? And they all say it, because that's the elephant, you know? And in about 10 to 15 minutes, I'm a shape sister. I change from someone who is grossly disfigured into someone who's cute and attractive and funny. And they don't, in the audience, necessarily understand that I am modeling for them what is possible. But they are feeling that at a very deep level. And that's what I represent. That's why people like what I do on stage. So that's how my attitude toward my own face changed over the years. Now, here comes the pandemic. And everything is Zoom. So I'm used to, like, I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, I smile, I look in my nice blue eyes, and then, good. I don't examine anything else about my face. I'm happy. And now I'm on Zoom, and I'm staring at my own goddamn face all the time. Ah, yeah. Will you tell me how you got involved with being in the cast of the movie Happy Face? How did that happen? Well, by then I had about 25 years experience. I was like, you know, the initiate of the beginning of facial difference in arts and disability arts as well. It was all starting back then. So this guy, uh, Alex, is looking for performers of facial difference. And he asked, would I audition? 
So I did. I auditioned on Zoom. And then I didn't think much of it. Then like a year and a half later, he calls up, well, we're doing the shoot. And Alex and the rest of the cast were extremely supportive and very, very helpful. And they did a rewrite in the middle to give me uh, more of a character. Uh, so that was nice. You have advocated for people who have visible facial differences to be cast in films, stage, any creative outlet. And I wonder, you know, oftentimes when they are cast, what happened to their face or the story of their face is part of the story. Like it has to be addressed. Would it be better in your opinion or some sort of win if someone who had a visible facial difference was cast in a film and their face and whatever happened to it or whatever explains why this face looks different isn't even a part of the story. It's almost irrelevant. Would that be something that you want? Here's the thing. We who are facially disfigured, as a rule, have access to a better understanding of the human condition. Because for myself, it was a long and winding road that I had to find my duty inside myself. And I, honestly, I knew it enough to get on stage solo. But uh, I, I'm not a confident guy, okay, about this kind of thing. I mean, I've been out there doing stuff, and there's lots of other people. Now there's uh, an award that's put out by the Children's Cranial Facial Association in Dallas, the David Roach Award for Excellence in Advocacy. So I think, yes, it's going to happen. But it's going to surprise the hell out of me. <laughs> you have been referred to as inspiring. How do you feel about how do you feel about being called inspiring? It used to bother me. You know, there's that whole thing about uh, inspiration porn. But I think that everybody needs inspiration. I love inspiration in creativity in young women, young meaning less than 50, so you're a young woman. And I get inspired by, by the San Francisco 49ers. You know, I love it. The Golden State Warriors, basketball. I, my dad was a sports writer, so, you know, that's, and my whole life was sports. So there's nobody who's immune to that. We all need it. We all like it. And, the fact is that it's just that people are inspired. They see someone, you know, walking with crutches in the snow. Wow, that's amazing. And in a sense, it is amazing. And, you know, the, the bad thing about it is when that's the only thing about you that is seen and noticed. So you're inspiring. And that's it. Very two-dimensionalized. Yeah. You visited middle schools across the country with your Love at Second Sight presentation, and you also produced a video. My producer for this episode, Jessica Severin D. Martinez, watched it with her kids, and her seventh-grade daughter wants to know, were you nervous about standing in front of middle schoolers who are one of the most judgmental audiences of all time? 
<laughs> That's such a great question. At first, I was. Mm, this might be a little touchy here, but I was nervous because I was going back to being 12 years old and I wanted the girls to think I was cool. Okay? So I'm standing up there inside myself, I'm 12 years old, and I'm trying to charm these 12-year-old girls. Jesus. Now, I'll tell you what kids like. They like funny. Um, they like physical, and they don't want you to tell, uh, teach to them, okay? So, and I've often had kids come up to, to me and say, thank you for not telling us what to do. And so I'm kind of fearless up there now. Like, I tell a story about being in the seventh grade and playing skin the bottle. You know, so in the story, the first skin is close to me and the the cutest girl at our lady of Bay School is across and uh, we're supposed to kiss. And she says, oh, not you. And she reaches down the stem again. And so then I say, kids, I know that I felt so bad. So I said, Daddy, I know you want me. And and the kids, it just dissolves them in laughter. Because they know exactly what I'm talking about. I know that you can only really speak for yourself with this question, but uh, some people who have visible facial differences don't want to freaking talk about it. Don't ask them about it. Don't bring it up. They don't want to talk about it. If they want to talk about it, they'll bring it up to you. And that's that. And some people with visible facial differences are like, yeah, absolutely ask me about it. Any questions at all? I'm an open book. I'd, I would rather you talk to me about it. How do you feel when you meet people maybe for the first time and you're feeling like maybe there's a sort of tension there, a curiosity there? What what would serve you best? I don't mind if people ask. The only time I'm wary is drunken adolescent nails. And, and then I don't like at age four and five, that's a time when children are more aware of monsters. Uh, and so once in a while, I'll get a child that'll scream and then run behind his or her mother. I don't like that. And sometimes I just said, oh, I'm just getting out of here. You know, other times, you know, I'll just sit and, and wait and nod and wait. See, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Just no one does. Yeah, thank you. For those who are listening to this conversation, who have a visible facial difference, and they are also really drawn to the stage and theater and film, and they see their potential, they see their current abilities, uh, but maybe there's a bit of a hesitance to go forward, maybe to go to school to learn acting or to go for the auditions. What would you say to them? Do it. I, I, you know, I've known people who tried it and got hurt. But I also know other people, young people who are just really stepping forward, taking a place in film, on stage, in the public eye. Most often nowadays, of course, that social media, it's a TikTok or Instagram. So yeah, keep the faith. 
don't know what more to say. I love you. I love you. I love what you're doing. Well, David Roche, I love you too. Thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, that was fun. Anytime. Now, after our conversation, I couldn't help but reconnect with David. I had some more questions for him. And we talked about things like... Having a facial difference is actually a blessing. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. When actor, speaker, and author David Roche walks into a room, he's used to people staring. He was born with a vascular malformation that took his lower lip and gave him dark purple veins that have grown on the left side of his face, head, neck, throat, and tongue. He talks about how he's seen and the importance of him being seen in his educational film, Love at Second Sight. He co-created it with his wife, Marlena Blavin, and it's been presented to more than 200 schools. I want you to stare at my face today. I'm going to talk about what it's like to look different and to feel different, especially when I was about your age. So I need some support. I need some encouragement. Here's what I want. When I count to three and point, I want all of you to say, what happened to your face? Can you do that? One, two, three. What happened to your face? Thank you. Now, my original conversation with David led me to ponder some more questions for him. So a couple months after we first recorded, we reconnected. David! You haven't changed a bit. Not a bit. It feels as though it's been years, but look at us. We look exactly the same. And I just turned 80. I'm the oldest Welsh uh, in 200 years of ancestry, the oldest one, the longest lived. Amazing, huh? That is amazing. All right, ready to hop in? Dun, 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 let's go. <laughs> okay, so um, there's a scene in the movie Happy Face where you are in a pizza restaurant and this guy comes up to you and says... You look like Freddy Krueger and awful things that I don't even want to repeat. Um, and then you go up to him and you say, Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Tell me. Is that all you got? It was, so, it was such an intense scene for me to just watch. And I couldn't help but wonder what it was like for you to film. What was it like for you to film that scene? It was very therapeutic. It was great to unload, but it, it didn't make me like strutting around. I was just like kind of shaking to do something like that, to have that kind of confrontation. To have, look like I do, then you have to deal with being ostracized or being on the edge of society. So uh, in doing something like that, it's, it's something inside that happens that you don't even know what it is, um, but you feel it. And that that was uh, just having a visceral reaction to that sort of thing. If you could flip 
a switch and have a face that is without these conditions, would you flip it? Okay. I have four daughters and they're all good looking. If I could just try six months of looking like one of my daughters, I, I would try that. Otherwise, this is me. This is me. And you know what? Having a facial difference is actually a blessing because it forces you to look inside yourself and to find your value inside yourself. So I think that those of us with facial differences uh, have an advantage over you evil-faced people. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about your wife, Marlena. Uh, she's told the story of how when she first heard your voice, you know, she pictured a certain kind of looking person. And then when she saw you, she, she said she felt shock and revulsion at the time and turned away. And, but then she said, you know, I think I saw David's soul. I hope that I someday find someone who sees my soul and loves it and feels like they want to be closer to it. I'd love your reflections on what being loved by her and with Marlena has done for you. First of all, I'm, I'm someone who adores you, okay? Oh, thanks. I'm just saying. Thanks, David. I'm serious. You can call on me. We're together now. We can we have a connection. Thank you. I agree. Thank you. I love that expression. I love the way your face changes. <laughs> oh, now it's pink. <laughs> <laughs> it is pink. It's true. Yes, it is. I mean, just asking a question like that, I don't know, is, uh, it's just a great question. I want every day to see Marlena and see what she is doing. She's uh, an honored hospice volunteer. Uh, she's right now helping to care for a friend who has dementia and who is about to slip away. Um, that's outside of hospice. That's just who she is. So I see that, and then she sees what I do, my lighting, my grease lighting groups and things like that. And we honor that in each other, and we support that in each other. I, I just want to point out, too, that Marlena and I have differences, and we argue a lot, but we usually can end the argument with laughter, thanks to me. <laughs> well, I've asked everything I planned on. Is there anything that I missed that you want to make sure you say? I want you to say a prayer to close this. Uh -huh. I love the obsession you get on. <laughs> yeah, I can see like you, you see, you're into the interview mode and you're like focus, and then all of a sudden something like that comes up and it's like, hmm. <laughs> It's it's pretty, you know, it shouldn't it should not surprise me that you pay very close attention to faces. That's a, that's a gift actually that uh you get because you're aware of how people look at you. And I like your face. I like your face. It's kinda you have a good face. Just to be the dimples help a lot. Oh thanks. <laughs> You've got a great face too. I was looking forward to seeing it again. I know, I'm cute. Yeah, you're wicked cute. Wicked cute. <laughs> I like that a lot. Okay, and the prayer? You got one? You. 
I do the prayer? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've, I don't think I've ever been asked to come up with a prayer before. Oh, no, it's that, Tony. <sighs> May we feel the peace that is always in us. And may we share it with all whom we encounter. I'll take that every day of the week, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I can see that you are like, uh, oh, you're doing good. Thank you, David Roche. Thank you. Take care, dear. We're going out with one of David's favorite songs to dance to, Proud Mary by Tina Turner. Audacious is always so lovingly produced by Jessica Severin Martinez, Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Visit ctpublic.org audacious to see photos and links to our guests. And you can listen to the first installment we did on facial differences back in 2022, including a conversation with Zaid Garcia. When he was two years old, a candle fell onto his blanket when he was in bed, and he suffered burns on 80% of his body, and he has so very much to offer the world. That conversation and more at ctpublic.org audacious, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you need to know we are doing our very first Audacious live event. We're doing a show-and-tell-themed taping, so you're not required to, but you're totally invited to bring an object you love telling the story of. That's going to be at third place by Half Full Brewery in Stamford on March 13th at 7 o'clock. Tickets are super limited and there is going to be swag. So visit ctpublic.org slash show and tell. Stay in touch with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Kion Wolf. And you can always send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Woo!